And welcome back to another episode of the Back in Session podcast with your favorite hosts, Ryan Stevens and Ryan DeMera. Both from Dwayne Morris Government Strategies. It's always fun. Uh, can't remember which event we were at last week, Ryan, but one of us introduces ourselves and then the other just goes, also Ryan, also Dwayne Morris. Yeah, no, that was, I think that was the Chamber Government Affairs Roundtable. That's right. Pennsylvania Chamber uh, does a lot of a lot of good events and glad to attend their Government Affairs Roundtable in Hershey, Pennsylvania this past Friday. So all you listeners who are not from Pennsylvania and don't have the luxury of living close to Hershey, PA, uh, we definitely take advantage of that and may may or may not have stopped uh, at the Hershey gift shop on the way out. <laughs> before last minute, home. It's a great place for last minute Christmas shopping. Yeah, for sure. And I think you can check them out online. Uh, we don't represent Hershey, so this is not a, a plug for not them. A plug, no, not a shameless plug, but <laughs> we just we just love Hershey. Uh, proud proud to be uh, you know from Pennsylvania. So I will say that Ryan, I know you weren't at dinner, but the state chamber dinner that was this past Thursday in Hershey, as you mentioned, the night before the roundtable, one of the I think best produced and put together events I've ever seen. Yeah, that, that's an generally... event of that size. I think there's about 2,000 people there. Wow. And they did a great job. Bradley Cooper was the main speaker, Pennsylvania native. So that was interesting. Lots of buy in from elected officials and legislators. Uh, always good to see everybody. Yeah, they did a just a tremendous job overall. Yeah, State Chamber, a lot of, a lot of great people over there. They do a t- tremendous job from top to bottom with everything that they do. And I was not able to go to the dinner, but yeah, I've heard that from. Numerous people, so kudos to them if they're listening. <laughs> and Pennsylvania native Gary, Gabby Barrett, excuse me, it felt like we were at a concert in the beginning. Yeah, well, you know, Bradley Cooper was the, I guess, the the main attraction, which is great. You know, love Bradley Cooper, great actor, but I think he could probably choose maybe a better, a better football team to be a fan of. <laughs> I knew you were going to work that in somehow. Yeah, had had to do it. Even not though right, my, not right now. Even though my team is. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be talking. Yeah, probably smart idea. So, but yeah, no, you ready for uh, Christmas? Get in there. Last one in shopping, still have something to do. Always run it to the wire, but we're we're getting there. I'm doing better than I have in past years. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, yeah, we actually did like all of our shopping already. Like we're completely done. It's which good to is be odd. prepared. Yeah, yeah, good to be prepared. I'm glad to be because now I don't have to worry about much of anything else. So. Yeah, makes life easier. So who do we have on today, Ryan? So today we have on New York State Assemblyman Anil Bipan from New York's 105th Legislative District. He is the first Republican of Indian descent to serve in the State Assembly. And more importantly, he's a, he's an old friend going back probably 10 years now, just about. Uh, the Assemblyman, you know, he's a former local elected official before making the jump to the State Assembly last year. I've been glad to follow his professional career from his time in college uh, until now, and I'm excited to catch up with him to hear what he's been working on up in Albany, representing uh, you know the constituents of the 105th district. Very excited to catch up and you know just just hear more about the issues that are going on. Even though Pennsylvania's neighboring New York, you know they face a litany of different issues, some of the same. So pretty. Uh, Pretty pumped uh, for this discussion to have our first state lawmaker on the podcast. And definitely not the last, right, Ryan? That's right. No, definitely a, a big milestone for us. Glad that everybody still lets us do this. Yeah, do this absolutely. Podcast. Uh, and with that, I think we can get into it. 
Well, Assemblyman, welcome to the Back in Session podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, and I look forward to a great conversation. Yeah, looking forward to a great conversation. You're actually our first state lawmaker that we've had on the podcast. So I think we're seven or eight episodes in, and you know we're, we're looking forward to having some of your colleagues from different states come on board, but definitely, definitely excited for, for this conversation and to hear more about what you've been up to and what's going on up in Albany and in your district in East Fishkill and surrounding area. So this is the end of year one as an assemblyman for you. How's it been so far? It has been uh, both an, a learning experience, but just an exciting journey overall. Um, I knew what I was getting myself into uh, when I ran for the state legislature. I worked for the legislature for a number of years. Uh, back then, we were in the majority uh, on the state Senate side. Now, uh, being a minority member here on the state assembly side, it's a, it's a different experience, but it's one that gave me the opportunity to really uh, get back to the roots of you know, serving my local community, um, which has been the most exciting part. And you, you touch on a good point. What's it like being in the minority in the assembly? So not only are we in the minority, we're in the super minority. So everything and anything that we hope to accomplish is a negotiation, a very large negotiation between the two conferences. But that said, um, I was pleasantly surprised how open folks on the majority side were, are to working with us. Um, there's a number of bills, bills that um, have both originated from uh, circumstances out of my district that uh, would impact state law. So they want us to find a majority member to carry them for us or with us. And they have been more than willing to help with those initiatives. Um, I've had majority members visit my district uh, and be a part of some key legislation. Um, so, you know, it's not all fire and brimstone. There's things that we're never going to agree upon. We have different uh, visions for the state in some regards, but um, folks are definitely willing to work together up there, which is nice to see. So do you mind just talking a little bit about your background and prior to your run for the assembly and maybe what motivated you uh, in particular to run? Yeah, so before I ran for the assembly, I was a council member in my hometown of East Fishkill, for about five years. Um, during that time, I loved being a member of a town board. Um, that's the closest to local government you could find. I loved being very involved with my hometown, my local community, and the issues were very different from what I'm dealing with now. But I think it was truly the pandemic that made me realize how important of a role a state legislator has when it comes to uh, certain types of policies and, you know, I, living in New York, uh, we were on one of the more extreme ends of uh, the COVID lockdown. And especially, you know, we have individuals that were impacted, not being able to work and, and so forth, but also the small business community, which is very robust where I'm from. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of small businesses across our district. They weren't getting answers. And with New York being so strict and ominous with their policy making folks didn't know what to do uh, and i watched um, one of my other uh, legislators really step up and take an active role and i realized there was a void that needed to be filled so when this when my predecessor decided to retire i uh, i knew that i had to run for the position and just be that liaison be that voice in uh in albany for this community 
Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit more about your district? Obviously, covers East Fishkill, but what are the what are the other areas? What are the demographics? So I cover nine towns, three villages. Um, pretty much, it's referred to as Southern Dutchess County. Um, the demographics of the district it's it's very much a middle class area. Uh, barring uh, one town, I, I represent the town of Amenia. It's the northernmost town. It is very much a, um, a relatively small farming community. The population is less than 5,000, so it's, it's very small. It, it's kind of unlike the rest of my district. Um, majority of, uh, of family members, uh, folks in my district have a family member that works in New York City, commutes down there. It's, a, it's very much a suburban area. Um, that said, it's, it's fairly right-leaning. Um, I'd say it's, it's light red, uh, pushing towards deeper red, depending on what the national demographics are. Um, so I'm lucky in a way that I get to represent a district that shares a lot of the same ideals that I have. Though, you know, 80% of this job, it, you know, it's really non-political. So saw that you introduced a bill to address congestion pricing. Uh, yes. Do you mind giving a little bit of overview of that issue for any of our lis- listeners that may not be aware or impacted uh, for, by so, that? I'm sorry, yeah, so just to preface, I, I'm wholly against congestion pricing. Uh, folks like my father, who lives up in this area and has commuted to the city for you know 30 years of his professional life, if you were to add in just the baseline congestion price now, which is, you know, they're looking at $15 um, per car, and you multiply that by like a 30-year career, you're looking at over $100,000. And and you know that it's never going to stay at whatever the lowest amount they said is. They're going to raise that year after year, as they always do. Um, I think it's a direct attack on working class members of not only just New York City, but the surrounding suburbs. Folks that have to drive their cars, whether they're doing some type of like uh, construction, cleaning service, whatever it may be, you're that those are the people that are being impacted. It's not the folks that, you know, could jump on a train or frankly, they have the, the finances to, to, you know, go down to the city in other ways. My bill is meant to be part of a lo- broader package of bills to one uh, eliminate congestion pricing, which we clearly see that's not going to happen. So a lot of folks in my district are first responders, they're doctors, uh, nurses, uh, and they commute down to the city to work. Um, not only is like you know the pay down there could be better, but it's also it's it's very much needed. Um, we saw that there was a severe nursing shortage and a medical uh, staff shortage during the pandemic, um, and. I think that this congestion pricing is truly going to hurt the residents of New York City because why would they give up such a large portion of their income to commute down to the city to work where they could work in Westchester or the surrounding counties? Uh, The other part uh, demographic I included in that are folks that's going down to the city for medical treatment. So if you unfortunately get diagnosed with cancer where I live, nine times out of ten, you're going to really push to go down to Sloan uh, Health Systems. They're, they're one of the best in the entire region. And I know quite a few people who are already doing that. These folks that are going through treatments, they, they're already, most of them are strapped for cash. They don't have the funds to pay more than they have to to get down into the city. And if you were to add an extra $15, and whether it's two, three trips a week, it's something that they just can't afford. And 
to say that they could take public transportation. I, I don't know anyone that goes through a chemo treatment that wants to jump on a train, a subway, or even a taxi if they don't have to, you know? Um, so I'm hoping that this bill will find bipartisan support. I've actually had initial um, calls and emails from uh, folks in uh, on both sides of the aisle saying that they would support the bill. Um, but I'm definitely going to push it as uh, the MTA continues with this rollout process. What's been the genesis of, like, I guess the or the origin of congestion pricing? Has this been something pushed by the governor, pushed by certain members of the the assembly, the city? So you know, obviously, from this is my opinion. It's it's the MTA uh, looking for a new way to garner revenue. They're always in a deficit, no matter what they do. They never have enough money. Um, so they're always either raising pricing on um, on uh, tolls or their uh, ridership tickets, but then they're also lobbying the state legislature for more and more funds every year. I think this is meant to be another cash grab for them. But on top of that, the environmental advocacy groups have jumped on board saying congestion pricing will reduce the number of cars in the city and forcing people to take public transportation, which uh, aligns with their overall goal. So they've also jumped on board with this as well. Um, so I think it's a mixture of do those two things that have been um, the, uh, the, the precipice of this uh, first in the nation initiative. But from what the governor has said is that she is generally supportive of congestion pricing. And she's actually even said she's supportive of the $15 per car per day, which to me is just mind blowing. I mean, you're going to cross the George Washington bridge, pay $15. I get it. You, uh, just across. And then you're going to have to pay another portion of the, of the toll as well. It's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I can certainly see where your constituents who do travel into New York for whatever reason, um, right. th that being an issue. So that's a valid point. And I'm curious to see where this goes and you'll have to keep us in the loop. But just taking uh, taking a step back, I guess, what are some things that you worked on locally as a local councilman uh, that you were proud of? So i i was a member of the town board at a very unique time right it's almost like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic but some things that have impacted my town greatly during that time as a councilman that i've been working on now as an assemblyman has uh been in pretty much aligned with uh, public utilities and the need for greater oversight with utility companies so my hometown of east fishko we have one cable internet provider and we have one um, uh, provider for electricity, gas, and just about any other utility you could possibly think of. So our community is very much on like a chokehold of the fact that we can't negotiate, barter, or force them to, um, to actually follow their own rules and regulations. So as a councilman, we took great strides to um, one tried to bring in other uh, suppliers of uh, internet into our community, and we're still working on that on a much broader scale, but then to hold them accountable. There were so many times where folks were, didn't have internet, especially during the times when they were working from home, and the, broad, the, the, the broadband was absolutely horrible. The, um, they could not access the internet during like high traffic times of the day, and 
when you would go back to the the uh, internet company, they pretty much just like ignore your your concerns. But we've since uh, built relationships with them to the point where they recognize the need for our community to have you know uh, reliable internet. So that was a, that was a good thing, and we're still working on different ways we can improve that. But most importantly, I think it's uh, holding Central Hudson Gas and Electric accountable. Uh, that company has had a horrible billing issue that's been going on for years now. So they switched their billing systems without telling anyone. And a lot of folks were getting estimated bills that were like between like 10 and 25 times their amount as their normal bills. There's folks, and when they would call Central Hudson and tell them, hey, my bill is incorrect. Like there's no way that my normal $300 bill is now $5,000. That This can't be true. And it took a great deal of public pressure to get Central Hudson to one, acknowledge the fact that they had an issue and then to actually start addressing it. So that started during my time as a council member. We, um, we were able to get them to come to different town board meetings and stuff like that. But now in the assembly, we've, um, we've passed legislation to help prevent something like this from impacting families in the way that it has, um, you know, that they've experienced the past couple of years. Um, on top of that, I have always been a strong supporter of smart economic development. My town has done just shy of $1 billion worth of new development over the past six years. Um, we converted an old IBM Brown site that has been essentially unused for almost two, three decades. And now it's like a thriving epicenter of, uh, of new development. We have everyone from Amazon to Frito-Lay and many more companies coming on there. We've decided to diversify the site so it can never be just like an IBM that would pick up and leave again and leave our community in shambles. And uh, we found great success there. And a lot of those initiatives I take to Albany as well, trying to make New York a more business-friendly state. Uh, it was truly a great learning experience to see how difficult we make New York as a business partner as well. Yeah, I can imagine. And that, that's actually a good segue into our next question. Uh, you mentioned utilities and gas and, you know, just energy generally, you know, in this region, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, et cetera. Um, there's been a lot of talks on electric vehicle mandates, gas stove bans. <laughs> where, where do things stand in New York related to those issues? And what's your take on what's going on? Well, you know, I, um, I'll preface by saying that I had a conversation with members of the majority, especially when they released their, their 2030 goals, you know, no more gas-powered buses for schools. Everyone had to come up with a plan to, to convert their school buses, all government vehicles, things like that. I'm like, the technology doesn't exist, and they've acknowledged the fact that the technology doesn't exist, but their goal is to legislate their way to innovation. And... I don't agree with that because a lot of our, like, for instance, I represent the fifth largest school district in New York, and they are spending tens of thousands of dollars that they frankly don't have to come up with a plan that they know that they, they can never implement, not anytime soon. And at, at a much broader scale, you know, switching over to all electric. I, uh, I went up to the New York State Independent Systems Operator. So if you look it up, it's, it's actually quite an amazing facility. You walk into this room and you see this giant board of every energy producer in the state, where the energy is going, 
But then most importantly, off to the right-hand side, you can see the, the renewable energies for that day, what other metrics are. And for that day, like for instance, New York's been pushing for wind energy. The day, that day, they've been at zero megawatts. They've produced pretty much nothing. Solar is like, it's like a drop in the bucket. It's like three megawatts. And, you know, it, it's nowhere enough to compensate for their goals. Uh, we don't have the energy in the Hudson Valley to safely transition to so much, to, you know, predominant electric vehicles. And we would have been much closer to the needs of that until Governor Cuomo shut down Indian Point without telling anyone. Um, the other thing, too, is that these uh, environmental advocacy groups have targeted things that in one in a past life they consider clean energy, like, for instance, hydrogen. We have a hydrogen plant in my district. And, you know, just 10 years ago, that would have been a great alternative for them. And now that I just dealt with a group that's trying to stop the expansion of their hydrogen plants, they, they want to get rid of it, which it's just not feasible. You know, you're taking away nuclear energy, which was one of the, in my opinion, one of the safest and purest forms of energy that you can get. And then getting rid of hydrogen. I mean, you're going to force people to go back to, you know, all their old coal plants, dual power plant. It's just not feasible. Their, their goals are unrealistic. And what that does at a greater sense is making New York less competitive for anyone that wants to do business and develop here, especially in the city with their, their, their stove bans and their, their no more gas hookups. And, you know, do, we even, do they even have enough of those appliances to go around? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and I am curious, too, because we, we talked about it on another episode regarding New Jersey's EV mandate uh, banning all gas, new, the new sale of gas powered vehicles by 2035. And I, my just, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, if that's not feasible, what does the state do about it? You know what I mean? Like you just mentioned the the different rates for, you know, these different renewables that, you know, they're just not producing enough energy. And if mm -hmm. you're not hitting that level, I mean, what, what, what does the legislature do? What does the governor do? You know, just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, at any time, the state legislature and the governor's office could act to extend their goals, make new deadlines and so forth. I think this is their way of, of um, you know, over the years, they have encouraged people to look towards green, renewable, and all electric uh, items and vehicles and whatever you may want to use. But now they're forcing it through. So they're hoping by doing this and having close deadlines, more and more people eventually uh, switch over. I think they know they'll never get to 100%. It's just not going to happen. This is just a way of getting people to start jumping on the ball to getting involved and, and being a part of that revolution in their minds. Um, that said, like it, it costs a lot of money for different agencies, especially school districts and municipalities, to even plan for this, knowing that these goals are not firm. And it's, I don't think it's fair because they're, they're not compensating. They're not giving them grants. They're not, they're not, you know, allowing them to have opportunities to be reimbursed for these goals and the planning that's involved with this. And that money can be spent otherwise elsewhere in my opinion, but. Yeah. So are there any other uh, legislative items or policy priorities that you're hoping to accomplish by the end of your first term? So my number one legislative priority is passing Melanie's law. 
So Melanie um, was just a mere year older than me when she passed away. Um, due, and I'll do give a little bit of a backstory. Her mother's ex-boyfriend ended up, you know, he has some mental issues. And when she broke up with him, he ended up becoming some type of a stalker. Uh, the mother actually filed for a restraining order, which applied to herself and her grandson because he was under the age of 18. Melanie was not able to qualify for a restraining order because she was over the age of 18. In New York state law, you're no longer allowed to apply for a restraining order in family court. You'd actually have to go start a whole new process through criminal court, which it's very backwards. It's just an old, outdated law, and that's what the judge had recommended. Um, the person that ended up taking her life was wearing an ankle monitor. He was under supervised release. They had him on GPS tracker. They knew where he was. There was just no legal way to stop um, him from being there. Um, you know, if Melanie had the opportunity, the time, the ability to go and start her own criminal court case, um, I think we could have been in a different situation now. But New York, just this current law and how it sits, it just makes it just unreasonably difficult for someone that has a known issue with someone that they fear violence uh, to be protected from them legally. Uh, the bill changes the law in that it gives family court concurrent jurisdiction as, um, as criminal court being able to give uh, uh, restraining orders to folks over the age of 18. Um, our hope is, is that, especially for folks on supervised release, you know, they'll know where that person is and hopefully prevent something like this from happening again in the future. But we should be making it easier for folks that have a legitimate concern to get these restraining orders. Um, so the, I told uh, the mother of Melanie that this would be my top priority. Uh, the bill has actually already passed the Senate um, and it has more co-sponsors than I ever thought it would have in the assembly. Um, I'm working closely with a member of the majority, assembly member Cunningham, um, who is spearheading the initiatives with his conference and then um, pretty much all of my conferences on board as well. Uh, we're just hoping the Office of Court Administration gives us the uh, final go-ahead to get the bill passed in the assembly this year. Uh, the majority actually spoke with um, the governor, and she did indicate she would sign the bill as well, should it get to her desk. So that is my top priority for this year is ensuring that that bill gets across the finish line. And can you just talk about the legislative process for that? So we're had a lot of states, their session and, you know, started at the beginning of 2023 and it lasted only, you know, however many days, however right. many months, but New York carries over, correct? Could you just yeah, talk about Yeah, so we, we go off of a two-year cycle. So it's a 2023-2024 cycle. Um, so the bill has to obviously pass both houses. Um, the uh, sister legislation went through the Senate committees and made it to the floor this cycle. Um, whereas our legislation had did not make it to the floors yet. It's still sitting in committee. Uh, how this will likely work is that they'll pick up the Senate bill that already passed that was reported back to the assembly and we would vote on it as a full, um, a full body sometime this cycle. And then the governor would have to sign the bill before the end of this year. If for whatever reason it does not get reported out of committee and taken to the floor this year, then the whole process starts over again. 
it would have to be reintroduced in 2025 and um, go through both committees again and hopefully make it back to the floor. Gotcha. Thank you. I think some of our listeners appreciate that. Just the, the background of how, how New York operates because it's different than some of these other states. Um, yeah. It's it, And it's, it's a shame to hear that, you know, a tragedy has to happen before a law needs to be changed. Unfortunately, you see that happen too often everywhere. Uh, but definitely, uh, definitely we'll be pulling for you to, to get that across the finish line. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, it sounds like the only issue right now sits with the Office of Court Administration, which I can't imagine why they would have an issue with this bill. Yeah. <laughs> Other right. than the fact that it's maybe it's a little bit more work for their uh, their family yeah. court judges. But I think with something with such a, a significant importance, it, you know, we should definitely try to push this across the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. And just switching gears a little bit, you're you're relatively long, young. You're younger than I am. How valuable do you think your perspective is as a younger lawmaker in the assembly? I think I saw a stat that said, I don't have state level data, but at least members of Congress, you know, the average age is like pushing 60, 70 years old, you know, and you're, right. you're definitely not there. So I'm definitely not there, but I'll tell you this, <laughs> that there's definitely a benefit to being younger and newer to politics than some of the folks that have been there for a very long time. Um, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them are jaded. They're they're stuck in, in different mindsets. You know, they've made it through different governors. They've been in the majorities. They've been in the minorities. They've, they've made it through a process where I think they're a little bit more jaded with their, their outlook on working together. A lot of the, the young folks, which actually makes up a significant portion of the state legislature. We have quite a few uh, folks that are like, for instance, in the, this in the Republican conference alone, there's 12 of us that's under the age of 40. And we're much more willing to work together in a bipartisan way. Uh, we actually have um, a caucus. We call it the Future Caucus. It's you know, slightly tied into the national um, uh, chapter of that. And, you know, there's like 40 of us, 40 or 50 of us from both sides of the aisle to just get together to talk common sense legislation. So, you know, while there may be some upsides about being downsides of being young, uh, I think our willingness to work together for policy, it's definitely a benefit. But, you know, for me, I, coming from local government and doing so much with local government prior to coming to the legislature has been helpful because our biggest issue as a local government in New York is dealing with the unfunded mandates that New York State passes down. And the fact that I can call bills out now personally saying, like, listen, there's no fiscal note tied to this. Like, it's going to cost the towns and the counties X amount of dollars, and we're not going to reimburse them for it. You know, it's it's important to have that voice in Albany. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that That's interesting. But really want to switch gears again, a little more of a fun question for you. We always have to ask, you know, uh, a fun question of our of our guests. You have a pilot's license. I do. What is that like? What do you fly? How did you get into flying? I always see you post on on social media. You know, you're in the air one day, and I'm. I always get a little jealous. I'm like, man, that looks so fun. <laughs> I'll have to fly down there one day and pick you up. We'll go get lunch or something. There we go. <laughs> um, so I've always been very interested in aviation. I think that if I did not pursue this political route, I would have ended up as a pilot somewhere. But. Um, I uh, I started classes before the pandemic started, and it was a 
it was a rough journey to getting my pilot's license in the midst of the pandemic. It was tough, you know, being in a cockpit that you can't separate yourself for more than, you know, six feet or whatever it is they, their rules were. But it's honestly one of the most exhilarating um, hobbies you can have, being able to kind of pick up and fly wherever you want to go within reason. Um, and it's just nice just being in the air. It's, it's, it clears your mind for sure. Um, I don't get to fly as much as I'd like to anymore. I, um, I don't own a plane. I use the plane that I um, flew in uh, for my flight school. It's a Diamond 20. I actually recently started a Diamond 40, flying with Diamond 40s. It's a beautiful four-seater like, four Austrian-built plane, and, it's, um, and I can tell you it's probably one of the smoothest in the air. Um, so I try to get out maybe twice a month these days now. I know I'm going to be flying in the first two weeks of January, just trying to get some hours and currency time in before we really take off with the legislative process. But I, uh, I highly recommend anyone that has the ability and with an interest in aviation, go get your private pilot's license. It's, uh, it's nice to be able to just kind of fly yourself wherever you want to go, even if it's just for what we call a $100 hamburger. <laughs> I like the pun there with take off at the legislative session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you going to fly up to Albany? Is it that is it far enough or? <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is I can't keep the plane up there. Um, uh, I'd have to bring it back down to the, uh, the flight school, but I actually have a member in the legislature that also flies his name. There's like six pilots in the legislature, which is crazy. We, there is a caucus, but we just don't meet of, I guess, an aviation caucus. Um, but my colleague, uh, Clyde Vanell, he's a majority member. He's from the Long Island uh, area. He's also a private pilot, and his intention was to fly to Albany for session. But he unfortunately was in a, a bit of a, um, a, a plane accident. If you could look it up online, he had a, an emergency landing on a beach down on Long Island. Um, so I don't think his plane is still in operation, but I was hoping that he brought his plane up to Albany so we could get some flight time in together. But, um, yeah, maybe, well, maybe I'll do it once or twice just to say I did it. Yeah. Well, well, if you do get a plane big enough, maybe we can get the aviation caucus, do a little special podcast episode, uh, in the air. From the air. <laughs> in the air. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So. But yeah, no, uh, just to wrap things up, where can our listeners learn more about you and your and uh, what you're up to? Yeah, um, I'm on just about every social media site at Anil B. Pan Jr. Um, feel free to follow along, message me if you have any questions, if you have ideas for bills or things that we should be fighting for here in New York. More than happy to work with anyone. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. Hopefully I didn't go on too long. No, this this has been great. We appreciate your time. We know you're you're a busy person uh, serving your constituents up there in the 105th district. So definitely appreciate you carving some time out here before the holidays to chat with us. And I've I've, admi I've admired you since we you know we met when you were in college and following your your professional career from town uh, from local government to the state assembly. And I know you're you you're only going higher from here and whether that's in a plane or somewhere else. <laughs> Looking forward to keeping in touch. I prefer if it's in the plane. I don't know if I'm going to run for any other office. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Again, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the work that you all do at Dwayne Morris. And um, anything I can do to be of help, please let me know. And hopefully we'll see you around soon. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. Thanks, Assemblyman. No problem. 
And that wraps up another episode of the Back in Session podcast. Thought we had a pretty good discussion with the Assemblyman from New York. Very, very uh, fun discussion talking about his experience locally, you know, what it's been like his first year in the State Assembly, especially as a, as a young lawmaker. So glad, glad to have him on and very, you know, very much looking forward to having future lawmakers um, from around the country on, on the, on the podcast as well. Yeah. Always great to hear in particular from young leaders. Uh, I always love hearing perspectives from people who have experienced in local government as well, because so much really does get done at the local level. Uh, Obviously we always talk about state and federal issues, but you know, municipal county government, they have a very real impact in people's lives as well. And his perspectives on that now as a state legislator uh, were interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And well, I guess what this that's probably the last episode before the holidays, before the new year. So thanks, everybody, for listening this whole, you know, however long we've been doing this now, a couple of months, uh, number of episodes. So if you made it this far, thank you. You're you're one of the loyal ones. So we appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, listeners. And stay stay in tune for for what we have in store in 2024. I think it's going to be a good year for for the podcast, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on across the country, a lot of issues to talk about, different industries being impacted by policies being floated at different state capitals. So it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a fun year. Stay tuned. And I guess with that that being said, Ryan, I'm going to make our, our first, very first official motion. I make a motion. Second. To recess. <laughs> there you <we laughs> until, go. Until the new year. That's so, right. Yeah, that, that, that being said. We're in recess, and until next time in 2024, when we will be back in session.